We talked all week about Arizona State Sun Devils who should be in the College Football Hall of Fame, starting off with the two who are on the ballot currently. Yesterday, talking about guys from the pre-2000s, and now today, talking about guys from the 2000s and on who deserve that distinct honor. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. My name is Richie Bradshaw, and I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils. Thank you guys so much for making us your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you would like to check us out in a visual platform, but wherever you do get your podcast, make sure that you go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button and turn on those notifications so that you get an update whenever we put out a new episode. Keep in mind that for June and July, we will be in an off-season schedule, which means we are only going to be available right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, although that is subject to becoming Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you guys would prefer that, just let me know. In the comments of wherever you see those those posts, if it's YouTube or otherwise. And you can always, you know, reach out to me on Twitter as well. You can find me at RichieBrads36, and you can find the podcast at LO underscore Sun Devils. Reach out to us, though. I, I mean, we're always here to have a good, good time, good conversation about Sun Devils, whether that's football, basketball, or otherwise. We're here. We're just going to talk about a little bit of everything. Speaking of which, let's go ahead and dive into today's conversation Arizona State Sun Devils post-2000s, who I believe should be in the Hall of Fame. There is a slew of them. I picked out 12 guys, and we're going to power through the first few of them before I get into guys who have a more distinct opportunity to get in, I believe. So let's go ahead and start at the very bottom. Chase Lucas, first guy who comes to mind for me. Now, this is not the strongest argument in the world. He was a guy who topped out as a freshman when he wasn't All-American and uh, ultimately not the most productive guy. Only six interceptions in five seasons for the Sun Excuse me. In five seasons for the Sun Devils and didn't have any interceptions over the last two seasons of his stint with the Sun Devils. Now, for what it's worth, he is the Sun Devils all-time uh, starts leader with uh, – I'm, I'm going to do math. Bear with me. 17, nine, four, uh, 51. He, he has played 51 games for Arizona State. That's the all-time number of games played for the Sun Devils, and it's got to be up there just all-time for college football. Uh, remarkable player, only missed, what's that end up being? Three, four, missed, no, five. He missed five games in five years for Arizona State. I mean, the dude was as reliable as they come. He was, you know, practically an Ironman for the team and a captain in the secondary. Uh, the dude the dude was just as reliable as they came, provided a veteran presence and had ball hawking skills despite the fact that he only had six interceptions. I think that he has a decent argument. Next up, I've got Taylor Kelly. Now, everybody knows that I'm a big Taylor Kelly fan. He was a three-year starter for the program, ends up throwing just shy of 8,800 Passing yards, 79 touchdowns against 26 interceptions. Also tallied on 1,404 rushing yards and three more touchdowns on the ground. 
He is one of the best quarterbacks that Arizona State has ever had. I went on record and will continue to go on record that he is a top three quarterback in Arizona State Sun Devils history. I think that he should have an argument to get into the Hall of Fame based off of the production that he had, the winning success that he had, turning around that culture. Because remember, there was a very up and down program in that Dennis Erickson era. And Taylor Kelly shuffled in a very successful Todd Grant era. So I believe that Taylor Kelly, a vastly underrated guy, has an argument, just not a great argument. Next up, Brandon McGee. Now, Brandon McGee is one of those guys who just played played the way that you wish all Sun Devils did. He was the epitome of somebody who was going to just play lights out and dominate you. He was just stronger than the opposing team was and had a mindset of, you know, I'm better than you and I'm going to embarrass you in front of everybody. This is especially true whenever he would get to play U of A as the dude to this day hates everything red and blue down south. I I remember seeing a quote from him. This was years ago where he was like, if my kids ever decided to go to U of A, I'd disown them. Now, does he mean that? Probably not. But I mean, you you love the enthusiasm that he has about the program. He's definitely an all-timer. Ends his career, 231 tackles, 24 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks, three interceptions, and one fumble recovery, one touchdown for what it's worth. Did that in four years with the program. The vast majority of his production came in his final two years with the program. But McGee, a very underrated Sun Devil all-time. If for no other reason than the fanfare to get into the Hall of Fame, I think that he's a candidate for the Arizona State Hall of Fame. But, you know, we'll see. Next up, Jordan Simone. Now, Simone, to me, was a very aggravating player. It felt like there were times where he just got beat down the field. But more often than not, he was a very smart player, knew the game, knew how to get the defense set up, and was a very reliable tackler. 191 tackles in two uh, two seasons for the team, five sacks, 13 and a half tackle for loss, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, and one forced fumble. So only two years of production, but nearly 200 tackles in that time frame. And he did it as not the biggest guy in the world. He was six foot, 195. He definitely played a lot bigger than that. It felt like he was a six foot three, 230 pound guy running around in the back end of the secondary. Definitely a big fan of what Jordan Simone was all about during his time with the program. And I feel like he's kind of an underrated guy. Last guy I want to talk about before we start to get into some more heavy hitters, so to speak, is Jameel Douglas. Now, Douglas was a very, very consistent offensive lineman for Arizona State. Someone who I believe perhaps doesn't get as much love as he should Sure, he he wasn't Randall McDaniel, but no one is Randall McDaniel. I, I feel like Arizona State does not have a lot of offensive linemen who get enough love. Christian Westerman was another guy I kind of looked at, but unfortunately he just doesn't have the accolades to back up the honor of getting in there. Whereas Douglas was a one-time second team and a one-time first team all-Pac-12 player and somebody who was just a reliable starter throughout the entirety of his career. I think that Jameel Douglas should have a somewhat argument for the hall of fame. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's, it's a huge and like strong and backed up argument, but I do think that Jameel Douglas is somebody who was a lot better than given credit for. 
That being said, those five guys, I understand, don't have the best arguments in the whole world, but I do think that they deserve at least a little bit of conversation. That being said, we're going to go ahead and hop into our first break here. When we return, we're going to go ahead and continue the conversation of guys who I feel should have arguments for the Hall of Fame. This is the Locked on Sun Levels podcast. BetOnline.net continues to be your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, odds, news, and more, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Thank you guys again so much for making us your first listen every single day. Go ahead and make sure that you tune in to the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft on June 16th. With over 50 insiders, nothing equals the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft. The Locked On NBA Big Board Draft Experts plus the Odyssey Insiders. First pick is June 16th. Search Ultimate NBA Big Board and follow now so you don't miss a pick. Hopping back into the conversation, we're going to be real brief here. There's two guys I want to talk about as stronger arguments for the Hall of Fame before we dive into our final segment where I have five guys that I think have good arguments and like very good arguments that progressively get better with some of the guys being, you know, fairly obvious. But starting off with these two guys who I feel have decent arguments, Sean McDonald, only a three-year player for Arizona State, but managed to rack up uh, nearly 2,900 receiving yards for the team. He ends up being in the top 10, top five range for Arizona State all-time for receiving yards leaders. Also scored 24 touchdowns, 23 of those in his two years as a starter. Also those two years as a starter, he was over 1,100 yards in both seasons. Ultimately, just a guy who I feel didn't necessarily... mm, I'll walk that back a little bit. I think Sun Devil fans appreciate what Sean McDonald was and what he gave for the program. But in the wider scope of things, especially when you just think about the Pac-12, Sean McDonald's not a guy who gets a lot of credit and he gets overshadowed by a lot of really good guys from the Pac-12. And even from Arizona State, he played in the time with another guy that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit for the Hall of Fame argument. And he was, again, in a weird phase at Arizona State played in the years 2000, 2001, and 2002, was productive, but Arizona State was kind of recovering from their mid-90s surge after they had gone on to the Rose Bowl, and you had Jake Plummer, and you had everybody else on that team that got them to that point. So McDonald was just in that weird, funky kind of range, but he still produced. And he was a guy who produced despite not being the biggest guy on the field. He, he was a five foot ten receiver, but he he made up for it as just a dynamic playmaker. Eighteen point four yards per reception for his career, never less than sixteen point one. I mean, the dude was just dynamite. You put the ball in his hands, and he had an opportunity to make a big play every single time. Sean McDonald, I, I feel like in, in the wider scope of things. Very underrated for Arizona State. 
So I put him up there as like a guy you put an argument down for. It's not the strongest in the whole world, but I do think that he was a good player and one that we should talk more about. Second guy I want to talk about here before we hop into our final break is Demarius Randall. Now, Randall was also a two-year player for Arizona State. If I remember correctly, he was a transfer, but I do not remember where he came from. But in those two years, left a big-time mark on Arizona State history, racked up 177 tackles, six interceptions, turned those into two touchdowns, was averaging 29.8 yards per return, had a very clutch interception against Notre Dame when they did come down to Tempe, and was a true ball hawk for the team. I understand he only played the two years for the program, but in that time frame, he truly made a massive impact for the team. Ends up being a first-round pick, too, and drafted in the first round by the Green Bay Packers, 30th overall. Has himself a nice little NFL career. Goes on, plays uh, six seasons. Played six seasons in the league, uh, 14 interceptions, two pick sixes. He was a stud. You know, he never materialized into this lockdown corner that the Packers had envisioned, but he was still a very, very good player for them. And he was a very, very good player for Arizona State. He was somebody who was a lot of fun to watch. It was funny enough in that 2015 draft, he was in there with uh, Jalen Strong, and Jalen felt like the guy who you 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 felt strongly enough that he could uh, be, be a first-round pick that year, but ultimately was not a first-round pick. Speaking of Jalen Strong, for what it's worth, I'll throw the argument out there. I love Jalen to pieces. Definitely not a Hall of Fame career, but he did have almost 2,300 receiving yards in two years. He was another guy who was a transfer. Jalen was very good, just not quite Hall of Fame caliber. Definitely one of like Arizona State's better players, but unfortunately the production was not there long enough with only two years worth of production. Sorry to use that word over and over again, but just not enough to really give him a solidified argument for the Hall of Fame, which is why he's not on this list. But let's go ahead and hop into our final break. When we return, I've got five guys who I feel are definitive Hall of Famers with the next guy getting a stronger and stronger argument each time. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. And again, thank you guys so much for making the Locked on Sun Devils your first listen every day. Make sure that your second listen is the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast. Rafael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Lee Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, latest, latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. Follow the Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Five guys remaining, and five guys who I feel have very strong arguments to wind up in the College Football Hall of Fame. Starting off the list, Nikhil Harry. A little bit of bias here. I will absolutely admit that. But the guy was a dynamite playmaker during his three years with Arizona State. Racks up 2,889 receiving yards, 22 receiving touchdowns, another 180, or excuse me, 144 yards on the ground, three touchdowns there, a punt return touchdown as well, turned in 165 uh, return yards and a whopping 11.8 yards per return. 
throws a touchdown too. So, I mean, 27 touchdowns scored in four different ways for the program, but he got better each year. He goes from being this, I don't want to call him a gadget guy, but he was a very gimmicky receiver as a freshman. And he ends up becoming this solidified number one receiver as a sophomore. And then he goes into his junior year and just balls out. And you're like, this, this dude has legit like wide receiver one potential. He had that massive frame. He was a six, four receiver. He boxed guys out. He, he was so reminiscent of Jalen strong as, as this big physical presence, the, the my ball mentality, the 50, 50 shots were always his and the back shoulder fade just absolutely dominated it. So I feel like he's got a pretty good argument. Not as strong as the four guys ahead of him. But I do think Nikhil Harry should get some looks eventually. If if nothing else, he is a guy that should absolutely be in Arizona State's Hall of Fame, which is the case for the four guys ahead of him as well. But that's the bottom line for Nikhil Harry. Overall, I think he has a stronger argument than people realize. From here out, to me, these are locks. They should be locks. Nikhil Harry, a very strong case. The four guys ahead of him, if they're not in the College Football Hall of Fame, I don't know what they're doing. Number four for me, Will Sutton. Will Sutton was Aaron Donald before Aaron Donald. The dude was undersized. He was a six foot one pass rusher, about 290 pounds, played on the inside, but he was fast. He was ferocious. He converted speed to power, and he was just. An absolute handful. It was practically unstoppable. A two-time All Pac-12 player and Defensive Player of the Year. Two-time All or two-time Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Wrap your head around that. 161 tackles in four years, 45 and a half tackles for loss, and 20 and a half sacks, including a junior year where he racked up 23 and a half tackles for loss and 13 sacks. He also forced three fumbles that year. It's one of the best seasons an Arizona State player has ever accomplished. Certainly one of the best seasons on defense. Will Sutton was just an absolute animal. There, He was a game wrecker. You could not game plan for this guy. You stayed up at night trying to figure out what you were going to do against Will Sutton in order to slow him down and keep him from absolutely obliterating you. He was just on a whole other plane of existence. When you talk about dominant players for Arizona State on the defensive side of the ball, you I would seriously throw him up there with names like Jack, uh, Jeff, no, uh, Jim, Jim Jeffcoat, excuse me. And maybe not Curly Colt, maybe not Terrell Suggs, but absolutely up there with some of the better defensive linemen that Arizona State has put out. The only reason that he wasn't drafted any higher than the third round is because his senior year was a little worse than his junior year. But if he had come out in his junior year for the 2013 draft, which we look back as one of the worst drafts in NFL history, he had potential to be a top 15 pick that year. He had serious potential to be a very high draft pick, but ultimately decided to come back for a senior season, was still a very good player. Unfortunately, he just took a pretty big step back in production, which ultimately hurt his draft stock, goes to the pros and burns out pretty quickly. You know, it just, it happens with these guys. But if you're talking purely from a college scope, this guy was dominant. 
he's one of the most dominant defensive players that I have gotten the, the opportunity and the pleasure of watching. Next up is Zane Gonzalez. This is an easy lock. All-time leading scorer in college football. All-time field goal leader was 82.8% on his field goals, 97.6% on his extra points, nearly 500 points in four years for Arizona State. The dude was just about as close to not perfect, but like not guaranteed either because he's not a Justin Tucker. Call me biased for bringing him into this. But when you needed points, you felt so confident, so confident that Zane Gonzalez was going to come in and get you those points. Yes, he wasn't perfect. However, when you talk about the the stigma that is college football kickers and how terrible they are consistently, Zane Gonzalez was a sight for sore eyes. He was somebody that you trusted. When a game was on the line, you felt like he was going to kick a game winner. He is absolutely up there with some of the best kickers that college football has gotten to see. He's up there with a Roberto Agallo. He's up there with a Sebastian Janikowski. He's up there with a Luis Zendejas for Arizona State. Zane Gonzalez was money. He wasn't perfect, but he was pretty close to it. You felt so good every time he lined up to kick a to kick an extra point. You felt really good about his odds of kneeling a field goal. Now he didn't have the biggest leg in the world. He wasn't he wasn't known as Legatron, that's for sure. But inside of 40 yards, inside of 45 yards, you felt really safe with him. Feel very, very confident that Zane Gonzalez is going to get to the College Football Hall of Fame one day, and he absolutely should. Number two on my list, Derek Hagan. It actually really surprised me that Hagan's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but as we talked about the past couple days, College Football Hall of Fame is very weird in the way that they allow guys to get in. The eligibility is crazy, and the amount of time that so many guys spend waiting on the ballot is also insane. But Hagan is a guy who should be an absolute lock to get in. Just shy of 4,000 receiving yards in his four-year career, 27 touchdowns. Now, he didn't have any rushing attempts. He wasn't a kick returner. He wasn't a punt returner, but he did everything as a receiver, and he did it all so good. 15.3 yards per reception in his career, 258 receptions as well. The receptions, the yards are all-time for Arizona State. I believe the receiving touchdowns are too. Keep in mind, he did not record a touchdown as a freshman in 2002. He also was only a 405-yard receiver in 2002. But from 2003, 2004, and 2005, 1,000-yard receiver, minimum 66 catches, minimum 8 touchdowns. The dude was Mr. Reliable. He was the guy who you needed the first down, you were going to check down to Derek Hagan. You needed, you needed the big play, you were going to go down with Derek Hagan. You needed... You needed an end zone guy. You needed a first down. I'm pretty sure I said that. Derek Hagan was your go-to. For what it's worth, he's second all-time in receptions at Arizona State. He's also, or not at Arizona State, excuse me, in the Pac-12. Second all-time in receiving yards for them as well. 41 consecutive games to catch a ball. 
at least one reception in 48 of 50 games. The dude showed up on Saturdays and he showed out on Saturdays. Vastly underrated when we talk about the greatest college football receivers ever. And part of that is because he didn't have the most NFL success. You know, he was a third round pick. He only played uh, six years in the pros, six, seven years before washing out 1,700 receiving yards. I mean, it, it, he, he never materialized into a Pro Bowl receiver, but he was still a very, very, very good player for the program. To put it lightly, you make an argument he's the best wide receiver to play for Arizona State. You make an argument he's the best skill position guy to play for Arizona State. So to me, lock. Absolute, put it in pen. Derek Hagan should be in the Hall of Fame. But if there's one guy I would put ahead of him for Arizona State, I feel like you guys saw this coming. If you knew that he wasn't already in the College Football Hall of Fame, Terrell Suggs. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. The easiest lock for Arizona State players to get into the Hall of Fame. I think I would tell you he is the best Arizona State Sun Devil to ever play for the program. He's up there with Randall McDaniel and Mike Haynes. Terrell Suggs dominated college football. And in a very short time, too. It was three years for the team. But I'm pretty positive he came out as a redshirt sophomore. And remember, he he was a running back in college. Ends up translating once he shows off some really good potential as a pass rusher. Goes on to set the single-season college football sack record with 24 24 sacks in one season. That's mind-boggling. It's unreal. I remember when I first started to get into college football and I heard that stat, I was like, that's that's a fake stat. There's absolutely no way that that's a real thing. It is. It is a very, very real thing. Look at the rest of his stats. In his three years, 163 tackles. This is a defensive end. This is not a middle linebacker. 163 tackles, 65 and a half tackle for loss, 44 sacks, 14 forced fumbles, three recoveries, two picks. He has that NCAA single season record. He was a first team all Pac-10 selection. He was a Pac-10 defensive player of the year. He was a unanimous first team All-American. This was a guy who more than likely was a finalist for the Buckus Award. He was unbelievable. This you talk about game records. This was the game record. He was the Bronco Nagurski Award winner, which is uh best I believe it's like pass rusher. Yeah, the uh, best defensive player. There you go. So yeah, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. And he did win the Buckus Award. Oh, whoops, that's in the pros. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Terrell Suggs is really, really good, in case you didn't know. Not only in the pros, where he is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but also in the college ranks, where he should get into the Hall of Fame very, very, very soon. It's incredibly surprising to me that he's not in the Hall of Fame already. And if he is, then you can go ahead and make fun of me. Is what it is, I suppose. He'll get there, no doubt, if he's not there already. 
But that's going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Locked on Sundowns podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for making us your first listen every day. Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you would like to check us out in a visual platform. But wherever you do get your podcast, go ahead, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button and turn on the notifications so that you get an update whenever we post a new podcast right now for June and July on our off-season schedule. That will be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for our uploaded episodes. Subject to change if you guys would rather it be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But also make sure that you're following me on Twitter. You can find me at RichieBrads36. And you can follow the podcast while you're on Twitter as well, at LO underscore Sun Devils. But that wraps up everything. So until next time, guys, you keep it locked right here on Locked on Sun Devils.